We're going to continue in our series, Your Move. Uh, for any of you who weren't here last week, or for those of you that are new, uh, as the tiny little blur showed, this series is really talking about how we interact with our family and the relationships that we have in our house. And so for a quick recap uh, for what Brad talked about last week, he talked about specifically how we should act around our parents and honoring them. The bottom line being that honor is always an action that we should take. It should never be the reaction. And so going off this series, we've done a lot when we've talked about board games. I know we mentioned quite a few last night, or last night, but last week. Uh, Risk, right? That was the big one that Brad brought up. And Catan, I think, was mentioned here and there. Uh, but these are all great games. However, I'm going to step away from necessarily the board games. I'm going to keep the, or your move theme, though. Uh, I'm actually going to move to something called the name game. It's actually not a game. I know the name is deceiving, uh, but it was a song that was written in 1989. The purpose was to take anybody's name, use it in a rhyme, and come out with their name again, but create a fun nickname along the way in the middle of it. And so in doing this, you'd basically get your name with another nickname to add on. How many people here have a nickname that people call them or go by at different points? I figured there'd be a few of you, quite a lot. Um, so surprisingly enough, if you've never known this, I have quite a few nicknames for Kesselon. I know that this might seem a little odd, right? Why do you need a nickname for Kesselon? It's already fine how it is. Uh, but those of you who do know me, I have plenty. I've heard chess before. They just take the first four letters. Uh, I've actually been called Castleman, Tesla Coils, which I don't know how you get to that. Uh, Eli Chase came up with one when he was first meeting me. He called me Chariots of Fire. There was a long story on how he got to that one. Um, but it did help him, and he got my name down. Easily, though, for those of you who really know me, the most popular one is Checkers. And I know I said I leave board games out, but sorry, it's just the name. But Checkers just became really, really popular. Uh, however, I'm not going to talk about any of the ones that I've been called a lot or that necessarily I like, to be more specific. Uh, I'm going to tell you a quick story, actually, about the nickname that I disliked the least. Obviously, it had to come from a sibling. Uh, my older brother gave me it. I think I was close to 10 or 11 at the time. I was fairly young, but it was quite prominent. Uh, the nickname that he deemed to me was Chestnut. I absolutely hated this name. Like, above anything else, this was like, if I could avoid having people call me this name, I'd do anything to make them stop. And so... How it all started is it was Christmas season. Me and my brother didn't really get along most of our life, actually. We were like bitter, bitter rivals. We weren't buds the whole time that we grew up. And so I was riding in the car with my mom during Christmas season. And all the lights are up. All the Christmas songs are playing. And obviously, chestnuts roasting over an open fire has to come on. And so my brother thinks it will be a great way to stick it to me by implying that I am roasting over an open fire. So he creates the nickname and implies that I am the chestnuts in the song that are roasting over an open fire. I immediately hate it, and I guess he thought I was crazy. Who wouldn't want to roast over a fire? But so I despised it horribly. But because of that, he continued to call me it over and over and over and over. And whether you guys call me it. I don't really care. It's up to you. You can call me any of the nicknames I've mentioned. I have plenty. But at the time, I couldn't stand it. And he grew it and grew it and grew it till everybody in my own grade, he's two years older than me, at school called me Checkers. He had spread around so much that everybody knew it. Whether it was my cousins, my grandparents, everybody had heard it. Everybody learned that I didn't like to be called it. So I had to make a decision. I wanted him to stop. 
How was I going to do it? And I finally decided that the best way was for me to make him. Right? That was not my smartest decision I've ever chosen. But I thought, I will make him treat me how I want to be. I will make him do things my way. But this didn't work so well. Uh, I tried and tried and tried. No matter what I do, it would not happen. Eventually, my cousin, uh, his name was Joshua. At the time that I really knew him and he kept calling me, I think he was a junior and he was a quarterback football player. He loved to annoy me. He was older. I was 13, 12. I was middle school age. And he just loved to annoy me any way he could. So he called me chestnut all the time. Uh, It got to the point where finally I thought, all right, this guy's huge, right? I've never been a huge person in general. I've always been skinny. And at that time I was four feet tall and he was close to eight. His dad was a giant. So I was, I can't make this guy do anything. I'm like, what am I going to do? But I came up with a plan. I decided that I'd find a way to immobilize him. So I got a bunch of comforters, like blankets. And I said, hey, I don't care if you call me chestnut. Let's have fun. Let's have a game. And I said, let me wrap you up in as many blankets as I can and see if you can't break out. Because he was strong. He'd be proud of it. I had close to 20 comforters, which is a lot of weight when you wrap somebody up in a tight. I wrapped him up in so many that he couldn't move. And I had his feet propped out on a footrest. And so what I decided to do is that moment on, any time he called me chestnut, I'd jump on his legs because I wanted him to stop calling me it. After 15, 20 jumps, he finally stopped, which was impressive because he's a foot player. He had the strength to take it, but his legs were sore. The worst part was he had a game the next day, and then I felt a little bad. He still played well, nonetheless. I think their team won in the end. But... I wanted to make him do something. The downside is even after this, though, it may have stopped for that day, but he still continues. As a matter of fact, it got worse. He brought it up more and more. He started telling his friends even to call me it. And that actually gets into the worst time that anybody ever called me chestnut. The worst thing I ever did was one of his friends called me it. And there's a story about how he lost all of his armpit hair. And you can ask me that later. That's a, that's a long story to get into. But I hated being called. It was the purpose. I, I just couldn't stand it when people would mention it. And so no matter what I did, the problem was that I was treating my cousin, my brother, people at school. My goal was to make them stop. And I was treating them actually in the same way they were treating me. They annoyed me. They made me angry. They made me mad. And so things I did to them did the same. It annoyed them. It made them angry. It made them mad. I was treating them the exact same way they treated me. And because of that, it never solved anything. But at some point in all of our lives, we've probably felt this way, right? Either with our siblings at home or maybe even with a friend. We all have a moment when we just stop and we're just annoyed. And the only thing we want to do back is to get even. We're ignored. We're put down, yelled at bullied and banked by our family and friends from time to time. And the move we all want to make is to treat our family how they treat us, to get even. So when I treated my cousin badly, he treated me the same way that I was him. Bad, right? It just got worse and worse. And so tonight and for the next few weeks, we will be looking at the best moves to make towards our family. And there is probably no way that we can make our family treat us exactly how we want. But we will talk about what we can do to change the conflicts in our own family. What we can do to change those relationships. And so, of course, nobody's family's perfect. Everybody's always different. And we always will get into disputes and arguments because we all have flaws. Things that do annoy one another at some point, right? We will be let down, lied to, ignored, embarrassed. We will be 
straight up stolen from sometimes by our siblings. They'll come in and they'll take our stuff and we'll get really mad at them, right? Or they'll move something in our room just to annoy us because we know, because they know that we don't like it. And we immediately feel wronged, right? That's our initial response. And we want it to be righted. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth becomes our motto in that moment. All we want is for that to happen. And the one thing is we want to get even. We feel unbalanced. That they have taken something from us, from our lives, and that they need, or we want them to feel the same way we do. They wronged us, so it's only fair to wrong them becomes our logic, our theory that we present. We have to get even. There's no other way. However, while that might make us feel good for only a short time, it ends up actually leaving us more guilty. When we're done, when we look back and we think about it, we think, why did I do that? Why, why did I choose to reply in such a way? This leads us into a never-ending cycle of conflict, especially if nothing changes. First, you call your brother or sister a name. They call you a name. You steal their shoes. They steal your phone. And so on and so on and so on. And if it stays this way, you get to the point where you don't even want to talk your family. You don't want to be near them because of the conflict that has just continued to grow and grow and grow between them. But that's not what we wanted, right? We can look back and we can think about all the fun memories we've had, all the fun times we've spent together. We didn't want the conflict to grow, right? I didn't want my brother to keep calling me chestnut. I wanted him to stop, yet instead it grew and it got bigger and bigger. For years this went on because I didn't change anything. I tried to make him change, and this grew out of proportion. We want the conflict to be fixed, not to even make it bigger, for them to treat us better, not worse. So we come to two truths about how we should treat others. One, if we treat our family how they treat us when we're in conflict, it doesn't make us feel better. It makes us worse when we look back at it. We say, what memories do I have of my family? I argued with my brother and sister. I fought with my mom and dad. I never want to be at home anymore. I just want to stay away. And two is that if we continue to treat them like this, and if we treat each other like this, then it only makes the conflict bigger and worse. It only makes it grow. It doesn't make it stop like we want. So the question is, can we ever make our family do exactly what we want? No. We can never make someone do something, right? I tried with my brother I know I tried, and it just never works. It can't. But while we can't make them act how we want, we can open up the relationship to change by how we act towards them, by how we act in the relationship. See, the problem that I had was I kept thinking, how can I change my brother's actions? What can I make him do to stop? But the difference was is that I needed to look at my own. I needed to see what I was actually doing. And we're going to be looking at Romans with the Apostle Paul when he wrote to them. This very subject is what he wrote about. Whether or not that you come to church a lot, or this is your first time in Oasis even, or for those of us who even believe in God, these six verses can change the relationship you have with your family. These can change the relationships you have with others. And for those of us who are following Christ, this is something that we try to do every day. And this may be something that when you read, you look at it and you say, oh, I know this. I've known this my whole life, right? 
What I'm talking about is quite simple. It's the golden rule. You've probably thought of that by now. I keep talking about how we treat others. We should treat others how we treat ourselves, right? We all know we've heard it since we were young, but this is something that we always fail at, no matter how much we seem to know it. I've been failing at it for 19 years. I can't get it right still. We always mess up. We always slip up. So while we may look at it inside, this is something that we need to work on. We need to apply to our lives. We need to start doing, not just saying. We need to not just know it, but act upon it and believe it. And so Paul wrote to the Romans, and he gave very specific instructions on how we should act towards one another to change the relationships we're in for better. So we'll be specifically in Romans 12, 14 through 19. I'll have it up on the screen as well. I'm going to read it from my Bible here. But beginning in verse 14, Romans 12, Paul writes, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. It is possible, as far as it depends on you, or if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So in these verses, let's break them down. In the first few verses, there's a couple things that Paul points at. He shows us, one, how we should act. How we should actually act towards our family and towards others. And two, he shows what can happen if we do. What can change. And so in verses 14 through 16, right off the bat, he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless them. Do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. He says, show loveness, show kindness above anything else. No matter what people do, even if they're accusing you of something bound or without bound, if your brother is doing nothing but annoying you, your sister embarrasses you in front of your friends, your fa- or your parents get mad at you, and you don't know why. No matter what, he's saying how we should act, what we should do is quite simple. We should bless them. Above anything else, no matter what, love them, show kindness, grace, mercy. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. The second part here, verse 16, shows us the goal of doing so. He says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. He says that the goal in doing this, above all of this, is that when you go into a relationship, when you look back at it, you can say, yeah, we got along. We hung out all the time. Everybody around us, you always can look back and have a memory where you say, I really like that person. There wasn't really anything they did mean to me. We had harmony with one another. We didn't try to stand out or make ourselves necessarily proud above one another, but we associated with everyone no matter who they were. Then we go on in verses 17 and 18. He tells us our responsibility and what can happen if we do this. And so in verse 17, he says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. This is our responsibility 
as people, as Christians, right? Nobody, when they walk out their door in the morning, says, I want to go out and offend every single person I can, right? We want to get along with people. You don't want to just anger everybody on the street. Especially with our family, though, right? The people we live with day in, day out, our siblings, our parents, our cousins even. We want to make sure that we do not repay that evil with evil. That's exactly what I was doing. My brother was doing wrong and evil towards me, and all that I did to repay him was wrong and evil. It didn't fix anything. It just made it bigger and worse. And so because of this, we need to be careful to do what's in their eyes, not just of our own, but of others. If all we do is we look at ourselves and we say, what I'm doing, I think is right, and then we don't see how we're annoying others, we haven't changed anything. We've continued to do these annoying things over and over and over again. And then what can happen? Verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Guys, in relationships, it's a two-person thing. You change how it goes by how you act. Same thing with a fight. It takes two people to fight, and it takes two people willing to fight. If you go in with a conversation with somebody that you've been on bad terms, and your goal above anything else is to bless those who persecute you, to never curse them, but to do good, kind, loving things to them, you can change it. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, your family members, your friends at school, your cousins, your relatives, everyone. And the last thing he says in verse 19 in particular, he ends by showing us that wrongdoing doesn't go unpunished. There is justice Somebody does get even. It just isn't us. And so that's what he says in verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. The thing that we initially want to do, our move that we want to choose by our instinct, is to go up to our friends, our family members, when we're in conflict, and to get even. They've made us feel bad. They need to feel bad. That's what we think. That's what we say in our minds. But here he says, don't do that. Do not avenge. It doesn't fix any problem. As a matter of fact, there's somebody who has the right, the authority to do so. Let God do it. It is his to avenge. It is his to repay. It is not ours. And so we need to wipe that option from us. When our initial instinct is to go check the box of to get even, We should make it disappear. It shouldn't be on the list. And so this will all lead us to one conclusion. We must treat our family how we want to be treated. Especially if we ever want them to change how they're treating us. No matter anything that I tried with my brother and my cousin, no matter anything that I did to make them change, it didn't happen. As a matter of fact, the more that you make people or try to make people do something, they resist you just because. I found that so true in my own lives, and I'm, or in my own life, and I'm sure that you guys have as well. And if you're here tonight and you doubt this, you don't think that it's possible, give it a try. Maybe you can prove me wrong. And I know that we all have different families. I know that we all have different relationships. We go through different conflicts. We go through different things in our own lives. 
It could simply be something with your brother or your sister. Some small little thing they do to annoy you. Maybe they try to embarrass you all the time. But it could be so much bigger, right? There are many things in today's families that go wrong. Divorce is huge. And so every family is different. And you may think that there is no way that you can fix a relationship because it's gone too far. Too much water has gone under that bridge. It's not doable anymore. But trust me, it's never too late. It is never too late to change it. The best example of this can be found in Jesus' own life. Look how he treated people, right? When he was out, everywhere he went, everyone that he met, he treated them with kindness, love, and compassion. What did he give them? Grace and mercy to everyone. He didn't come down to earth. God didn't come down to earth as Jesus. So that way he could walk around and when the Romans spat on him, he would spit back. That's not how you fix a conflict. There was conflict between man and God and his goal, his whole purpose ever since that conflict existed was simple. To treat us how we wanted, how he wanted to be treated, right? To give us everything that he wanted was his goal. To show us love and kindness that went above and beyond anything. That is the best example there is. And all of these things greatly change our relationship with others when we use them. But we fail at it. We fail at it. While it is not a guarantee that your family will change how they treat you, I guarantee that if we do treat others in a negative, in an angry, in a I'm going to get even with you way and personality, they will never treat us how we want to be treated. It'll never change, no matter what we do. If that's all we stick with, it'll never change. Someone must take that first step and treat the other how they would want to be treated. Actually treat them how you would want to be in that position. Stop and look. Consider how you're acting and what's annoying them. And think, if I was annoyed, I don't want that to continue. I want that to stop, right? Nobody wants that. Then and only then can we see what they are doing, and start to change how they act. They begin to see it. They begin to see all these things that they haven't before. That's that opportunity. They see how you act, right? If someone comes up to you and calls you a liar, and you give them a hug and say you're sorry, they're going to be stunned. They thought you came to them, or that when they came, you would retaliate. You'd get even. You'd want to continue to argue and have it grow. Because that is our initial reaction. And when we don't give it, people see that. And that's when a relationship changes. So what is our move in all this, right? Our title. What is our move? What is our game plan? We need to treat our family how we want to be treated. If we don't do that, nothing will change. It's an infinite loop. So what do we do? We can't change our family members. But... We can choose how we act towards them and what our relationship looks like with them. We can trust that if we treat them how we would want to be treated, then we can stop the conflict. It takes two to fight. If one isn't there to fight, it can't happen. 
Instead, you can change the atmosphere. You can change the relationship between you and your sibling, your parent, your relatives by changing how you act. And you can start fixing the relationship. This week, I want to challenge you guys to two things. Look at your relationships with your family, whether it's your siblings, your parents, even your friends, right? And I want you to start thinking about if you're treating them how you'd want to be. And if not, what can you change? When your parents maybe have a long day, right? They may come home, you had chores to do. Maybe you just had to do something simple like vacuum the carpet and you just completely forgot. But they've had a really bad day. They come home, they see the carpet's not vacuumed, right? They get mad beyond belief just because they've had a bad day. It's a small little accident, a flaw necessarily. And they get really mad at you and they want you to basically be punished, right? And at first, your initial reaction might be to fight back, to say, I don't deserve this punishment. It was something small. You're taking it way out of proportion. But what if instead we stopped and instead we looked at our parents and said, let me go do it right now. I'm so sorry that I forgot. Instead of continuing on in a let me get even, stop. Show them kindness, love, forgiveness. Bless them in every way you can. And then maybe not even stop at vacuuming. Then go to them and say, hey, what can I do for you? Maybe say, I see maybe you've had a long day. Let me help you take the stress off. Show them love, right? Or maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's your siblings. You bring your friends over. You have a younger brother, older brother, sister, either way. And all they do when you're there is embarrass them. That's all they do. They embarrass your friends. They embarrass you. They try their hardest, right? And so your initial reaction might be to get back at them when their friends are over or to make them seem worse around your friends, to put them down, never to build them up, right? But what if instead you invited your siblings to come hang out with your friends? Maybe that's weird. But maybe when their friends are over, you make them actually seem like a great sibling. You make them seem cool and awesome. They see that and they're like, the last thing I did to you was make you look like a fool or a jerk in front of your friends. Why are you doing this, right? They question it. They begin to ask, why? Treating your family how you would like to looks different for each of us, right? But one thing is true for us all in this is we don't want to be the one to take that first step. Right? We look at it and we say, if I take that first step, I've lost the battle. It's over. My sibling has won. My parent has forever above me. They have that dominance. I lost the game. Right? And I know, trust me, I know, I know, I know how hard this is. My brother is two years older than me. I'm 19. He's 21. It took me till I was 17 to change how I acted in our relationship. 17 years. I just didn't want to do it. I didn't want to take that step. But when I did, the change was drastic. We went from a position where we couldn't be in the same room together to now we hang out. We go to movies. I talk to him and I see him at work, right? Our relationship changed drastically because I changed, not because I changed him. I didn't force how he acted 
and tried to change it. It's, it's doable, guys. It may be hard, but we can all do it, but we all have a hard time making that first step. But if we trust God and what he's told us and start to treat others in the same mindset that Jesus did, think about how your life can change, right? Think about how it can change and how others would start to act towards you, right? Because God understands your situation better than anyone. I'm new to Oasis. I may not know all of your guys' situation, but I know that God does. And above all else, he loves you and wants what's best. And this is how he acted. This is how he acts. This is how he will act. Trust him, even if your family might seem like they're treating you wrong. Trust him. Trust what he says. And in the end, he says it's your choice, one way or another. It's fully your guys' choice. You can treat your family how they treat you. And maybe sometimes that's good, right? Our families, obviously, they love us. And so there are definitely times, many of them, where they treat us well, and to treat them back's great. But in those moments when they don't, it's your choice. But you can always make the move to treat your family how you want to be treated. As you guys go to small group today, I want you to think about this question. What does it look like for you to treat your family how you want to be treated? What does it look like in day to day? How can you go from here and change that. Then decide for yourself, how are you going to act towards your family? How are you going to act? What are you going to do? Don't just know, but act upon it. And then how are you going to do it? You can choose to change how you act and start treating them how they want to be treated, how you would want to be treated in their position, right? Or you could treat them how they've been treating you. You could treat them angry, mad. But it's always your choice. It's always your move. 